The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Well, welcome, everyone. Mark is uh, out of town. He'll be back uh, tomorrow. And so I'm filling in for him this evening. My name is Gail Iverson, and I substitute for Mark from time to time. I'm going to start out by reading this quote from an article in The Inquiring Mind by a Wes Nisker. Seeing your Dharma practice in the light of biological history is very forgiving. You realize that your mind wanders during meditation because that is part of its job, going over various scenes and details, seeing to your survival. When you find yourself full of fear or desire, you remember that you are dealing with a brain and nervous system that has been hardwired for millions of years for these emotions and that your species is just starting to understand itself. Then you can apply the mantra, I'm perfectly human. If you really need a good excuse, just say, my DNA made me do it. (laughs) When I sit in meditation as a human being rather than as an individual, I feel as though I'm part of a collective effort on the part of our species to right itself, to find a new sanity. It feels as though we, the divine we, are half asleep and half awake, and just now, the last 3,000 years or so, learning how to overcome our instinctual aggression and fear for the sake of our collective survival. As Robert Thurman says of meditation, It's an evolutionary sport. In the light of that big perspective, I thank you for being part of this exciting project, helping us all to realize our precious precious human potential. So in this practice, it's a very radical thing that we are attempting to do. It's our conditioning to try to avoid the unpleasant and to (coughs) hang on to the pleasant. This occurs at an unconscious level so that by the time feelings have come to consciousness there's already a congealing around them. And these habits of tightening up and turning away from the unpleasant and trying to hold on to the pleasant cause us to suffer. In his book, The Noble Eightfold Path, The Way to the End of Suffering, Bhikkhu Bodhi defines suffering in this way. The Pali word dukkha is often translated as suffering, but it means something deeper than pain and misery. It refers to a basic unsatisfactoriness running through our lives. Sometimes it erupts into sorrow, grief, disappointment, or despair. But usually it hovers at the edge of our awareness as a vague, unlocalized sense that things are never quite perfect, never fully adequate to our expectations of what they should be. 
This fact of dukkha, the Buddha says, is the only real spiritual problem. So in mindfulness meditation practice, we develop a new relationship to this unsatisfactoriness. When discomfort arises, we have the intention to turn towards it and open up. We have an intention to bring an attitude of non-judgmentalness to the thoughts and the body sensations. And we do this in real time, moment by moment, bringing an open and relaxed attitude to our experience. So this week we're going to continue to talk about sitting practice. Um, the last week Mark talked about aspiration to meditate, having an intention to meditate, and um, how, and then motivating ourselves to continue to practice. I know for those of you who have been coming and listening to Dharma Talks for some time, this theme of, um, of okayness and non-judgmentalness, non-interference, um, that's a, a big theme that is emphasized over and over again when we talk about um, mindfulness meditation practice. And yet as... Um, Wes Nisker said this is um, a really new kind of attitude for human beings to bring towards their experience. And so even though intellectually it can seem quite like quite a good idea and quite a, a, uh, a reasonable thing for us to do, um, when we actually turn our awareness towards um, these unpleasantness, this discomfort, um, it's, it, it's challenging. It's a big challenge. So we have to bring a lot of patience and gentleness um, to our practice so that we don't, um, we don't get um, discouraged. I just want to talk tonight um, really about some just very basic things about sitting practice. Um, in the guided meditation, we started out with um, bringing an idea of gratitude or forgiveness, um, loving kindness uh, to our awareness. And this is a really good way to, to start our meditation practice. Sometimes when we sit down, depending on the time of day, either um, our mind is kind of dull and sleepy, or um, it might be, if we're sitting um, after we've done activities of the day, there might be quite a bit of agitation and, and busyness that is going on. And so it's just helpful to settle the mind. Um, one of the things that I find useful is 
when I sit down, for me, gratitude is a really helpful um, attitude to bring to the mind. And so just the idea, just remembering gratitude for these teachings, um, that's helpful. And then reflecting on the all of the practitioners who have continued this um, practice, keeping this practice alive um, for the last uh, 2,500 years. And then thinking of the people who currently have um, personally have helped me and supported my practice. Um, all of those things really help for the mind to sort of get into the, the spirit of the meditation practice. And then it's important to settle the body in. And we can really um, work on more and more bringing to our posture this um, relaxedness, this openness, and also keeping an uprightness so that we have this balance between relaxation and alertness. Sometimes it's helpful, depending on what's going on for us, to sort of do a, a body scan of just consciously relaxing, relaxing what tension is being consciously held in our body. Of course, there's, we'll probably be aware of, um, of tension that's present that we can't consciously relax. But we can notice even as we sit that sometimes we'll, our awareness will be drawn to something and we can just kind of notice that there's a tightening in other parts of the body. And that tightening we can let go of maybe whatever the, um, the predominant sensation we can't um, relax that tension. But we can relax uh, tension in other parts of the body and that can help us to be more relaxed and open to um, whatever discomfort um, our attention might be drawn to. <laughs> there are kind of, in, in terms of meditation technique, there are kind of two um, aspects to my, to meditation practice that we can emphasize one way or the other. Um, there's the uh, shamatha or samatha practice, which means um, calm and concentration. And there's the vipassana practice, which means um, more insight, clear seeing. And so we can emphasize one or the other in our practice. If we're doing a technique that is um, where we're interested in uh, developing the aspects of calm and concentration, um, then we want an object that's um, relatively neutral. For many people, um, 
that object is the breath. And so we just have an intention to over and over again to bring our, keep refocusing our awareness on the sensations of the breath and the body. This simplicity is calming to the mind. And there's also a unifying um, process that that goes on when we continuously bring our awareness um, back to a a neutral to pleasant object. Um, If the mind is really scattered and um, keeps wandering from the from the object of meditation then we can use a little more stronger methods counting the breath can be a really helpful way to um, keep us continuously connected with the sensations of breathing and just usually Um, The instructions are counting from 1 to 10, each breath 1, 2, 3, and then either starting over again when we lose count or starting over when we get to, to 10. When we do concentration practice, it's especially important to do these um, preparatory um, things that I talked about, um, sort of bringing this um, gratitude, um, loving kindness, this conditioning the mind. Um, or you know, maybe there's some other ritual that is really helpful to you that you would um, do to prepare the mind. And then the importance in, in um, for more leaning towards concentration, then um, we want to relax the body as much as we can. Um, if there's painful sensations, then we want to see if we can mitigate that in some way. If we want to focus more on the vipassana aspect, then we can work with whatever is arising in consciousness. So, of course, it's always helpful for the mind to be, to have some level of um, calm and relaxation so that we can, uh, the mind can have some balance um, so that we can see things as clearly as possible. But sometimes even that, depending on our particular circumstance at the time, um, that's not possible. So we just have an intention to just be with, uh, to the best of our ability, with whatever is um, arising. 
it's really the resistance to discomfort that is is what causes the suffering. And as I mentioned earlier, it's really something that um, starts in the unconscious. And so by the time it, it, become, it comes to consciousness, there's already um, a lot of holding that's present. And so one of the things that was discovered is that with the body sensations, when there is something that is um, some unwholesome activity that is present in the unconscious, there's um, irritation or anger, there's um, doubt or uh, sleepiness, there's desire, whatever unwholesome um, turnings are, are happening in the unconscious, there is a reflection in the body of that um, of that unwholesome activity. We can't directly um, contact that um, unwholesomeness, but the we can contact it in the body. So. Perhaps there, you know, just for an example, um, if there's a, you know, we're, we're sitting for a while and there's a pain that is in the knee. And if it were just pain, it, it wouldn't be a problem. There would just be the energy of the, the pain. But most human beings haven't experienced a sensation as pure pain. There's always some sort of resistance or congealing that is present with it when it arises in consciousness. But by turning towards it and opening up to it, that is what the unconscious needs in order to untie, the, to, to stop this habit of congealing and resistance. I was listening to some tapes by uh, Pema Chodron recently. She did a series of tapes, or um, CDs and now I guess, called The um, Awakening of Compassion, Meditation for Difficult Times. And she tells a, a story um, on the, one of these CDs um, that is uh, a, a story about this encountering resistance in meditation practice. It's about uh, a story about uh, Mila Repa who is a was a very well-known meditation master in Tibet. And Milarepa had been living in a cave and practicing meditation for many years and had become quite advanced in his meditation practice. And one night he went out to gather some wood to uh, 
to do his cooking. And when he came back, his cave was filled with demons. And they had taken over his space. And this is often what happens to us. Our demons take over our space. They come and inhabit our space and make themselves quite at home. So they were um, eating his food, using his cooking utensils. They were reading his books and sitting on his bed. And they were really quite fearsome and quite frightening. And so you know, he looked and he could see that they had really settled in. So the first thing he decided to do was he decided that he would uh, teach them the Dharma. So he started um, talking to them about um, mindfulness practice and um, how to uh, be compassionate and you know, all of the things that, that uh, we learn as part of meditation practice, how to practice morality and how to gain wisdom and insight. And none of them left. So he then he thought, well, what you know, what was he going to do? He, you know, it, it's very unpleasant for them to be there. So he got really angry, and he started yelling at them and you know, getting really upset and nothing. They just were still there. So he thought, well, okay. You know, he just basically decided to give up trying to get rid of them. He said, well, I can see that you're not going any place, and I'm not going any place, so maybe we can just work things out, and you know, we just have to be here together. And all the demons but one left when he did that. But the one demon that was left was really fearsome. I had really a huge head and big teeth and was very scary and uh, Milarepa could tell that this demon was not planning on leaving and so he um, he thought well perhaps this is a is the deity of this place and I never asked permission of him to to practice here and maybe that's why he's you know, so upset and, but he didn't know you know the demons weren't talking and so he put his whole body in the demon's mouth and he said just just take me and uh, the demon disappeared so the moral of the, the story is that this surrendering to our our resistance is um, is what makes the demons leave. But of course, this, as I mentioned, is a is a gentle practice, and so we need to have patience and with ourselves and the demons. And we 
need to just accept um, the timing of their coming and going. One of the techniques that's quite helpful in terms of opening up to whatever is arising in our experience is the noting technique. And of course, when we're, we're practicing mindfulness meditation, we are attempting to continuously notice and be aware of whatever, either what we've chosen as our object of meditation um, or perhaps just what is whatever is predominant and whatever is drawing our attention. And to help us create some, some space and some continuity with this, we can um, use labels for what is arising. So if it's something, um, say that we're being aware of body sensations that are rising, we want to have some precision about those sensations. So we can use a labeling um, technique to keep us aware of moment by moment. So there are many different levels of, of noting that we could do. Um, we could just um, note the body part um, and you know, just every couple of seconds we could just note knee, knee, knee. And then if the awareness is drawn to another location in the body, we could just notice foot or head. However, the awareness is shifting um, within the body, whatever is predominant um, moment by moment. We can also label the flavors of the sensations. So it could be, um, we could label aching, burning, tingling, vibrating, pulsating, whatever the flavor of the sensations that are arising. We could um, notice that, we could label that. Now, of course, there's many things that are arising in consciousness. It's very quite complex what we can be aware of in any given moment. So we can't label everything. Um, that would you know, be very agitating. So we just label whatever is predominant. But every couple of seconds we can we can label. If there's um, if there's a lot of thinking that's arising, then we can uh, label the flavor of the thoughts. Um, perhaps the pattern of thought is planning or judging, uh, fantasizing, um, whatever. Um, 
maybe it's dullness or aversion, desire, whatever the pattern of thought, we can um, label that. And every couple of seconds just labeling whatever pattern of thoughts is arising. And maybe it's changing quickly. Maybe it's um, maybe something is really persistent. That also, when we label, we bring this sort of matter-of-factness to the labeling. So it's it's you know very simple word. It's not like, oh my gosh, there's a pain in my knee and it's getting bigger and stronger and that that's not. <laughs> it, it's just we bring this matter of fact quality to our voice of knee, knee, foot, face, and that helps to bring some calmness to the mind um, in face of uh, of things that um, are unpleasant or that there is an aversion to. So when we have this attitude of, um, of openness and relaxation towards our experience, whatever it may be, um, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, It's really a, it's a deep healing for for us. There's a I, this poem that I um, wrote a number of years ago, and it helps me to um, to remind myself of this um, this matter of factness and also of the benefits of bringing this openness to to um, whatever is coming up in consciousness. And uh, the, the title of it is um, Spiraling Labyrinths. Listen for the footsteps of previous travelers. Then give yourself fully to the unfolding patterns. No projecting, no regretting, no forgetting now. Explore the subtleties of white on white, pulsating, vibrating, 
collapsing, descend to the core, let love flow. So when we have this willingness to give ourselves fully to the unfolding patterns, then these unwholesome qualities um, dissolve. And when those qualities dissolve, then the naturally present love and compassion um, just naturally shine through. So we do this practice first um, working with our own um, qualities of unwholesomeness and then as a result of that, it not only benefits us, but it benefits everyone who um, we come in contact with. Um, I'd like to read something that um, Gil Fransdell uh, had to say about working with these um, unwholesome qualities or hindrances said, in the mindfulness tradition of meditation practice, we don't want to have the attitude of pushing anything away or rejecting it or saying it's bad or shouldn't happen. But rather, we want to understand what is happening. And to help along those lines, it should be said that every human mind has its own strategies for avoiding the present moment. I say it that way. Every human mind has its strategies so you won't take it personally. If I said every one of you has a strategy, you might think, oh, it's something personal with me. It's my hang-up, my problem. But I want to say it's every single mind, and the mind is not necessarily you. Minds function in different ways. They react and respond to stress, to challenges, to difficulties, to beautiful things in different ways. And so it's a natural thing the mind does in a sense. We don't have to feel bad about ourselves for it happening. What we do in this tradition is we try to become familiar with this phenomenon. We try to see and understand it so that we can get the upper hand. The more familiar we become with how something works, the less power and hold it has over us. So if you can see how aversion really works, to notice how it begins, what it's like when you're in the grips of it, to notice the beliefs that are connected to it, to notice what it feels like in the body. Notice as much as you can about this state of aversion. Then it would be a lot more difficult for you to get caught by the aversion. You might even see it coming. You can smell it. Or if it does arise, you're more likely to catch it right away instead of being lost in it or pulled away by it. There are strong forces in the mind that want to pull you out of the present moment. And what we're trying to do here is to understand what those forces are rather than ignore them 
fight them or judge them negatively. So in the Buddhist tradition, there are five primary forces in the mind that are said to be the greatest hindrances to staying present, to staying concentrated, alert, and stable in the present. It's the job of mindfulness meditators to become connoisseurs of these, to become experts, to really get to know them well. To get to know them well, you don't necessarily invite them in, but when they appear, you don't take them as being problems to be destroyed or gotten rid of as quickly as you can. You take them as, oh, I get to know what these are like. I get to study this phenomenon. So again, he's talking about these two qualities that we bring to meditation practice. This quality of having a precision, precise awareness and of having a matter-of-factness, an openness, a non-judgmentalness. We bring this quality of preciseness by, by, as Gil mentions, by studying the phenomenon. So we become, we bring this interest to it. Um, most of the time we're not that interested in um, in our basic experience. We're not that interested in our breathing or we're not that interested in the pain in our knee. Um, we like to be interested, we like to make things more complex. So we um, tell interesting stories um, about them about our experience. But in this practice, we bring this kind of simplicity to our awareness, but also a preciseness. So as I mentioned, if we're practicing noting, we can really be interested. We, we direct the mind to being interested in the tension or being interested in the aching, being interested in the burning. Um, and just practicing over and over this intention of, of being with it and being open to it. And to really understanding both the what's happening in the body and also what's happening in the mind in relationship to that. So
whatever the experience is, we bring this precision of awareness to it. And to the best of our ability, we bring this openness and matter-of-factness to it moment by moment. Now, of course, we do we practice these same principles when there are um, pleasant things that arise. Um, for most of us, though, we tend to learn first by turning towards the unpleasant. Um, the pleasant is. Um, It's much more difficult to have precision about um, pleasant sensations. Um, usually, if there's something that either arises in the body or arises in the mind, um, we tend to get caught up in it and lost in it. And. I know that, um, for instance, if if there's um, an insight that arises, it's like the mind just really gets, you know, it can just really get caught up in that, and and um, you know, it, it's not that there's um, anything wrong with. Um, with being um, happy about it, but somehow the mind just really gets going, and it's like <laughs> just <laughs> you know go on and on and on about um, about this um, this insight that has arisen. Um, so I, I wanted to talk for just a few minutes about. Um, about retreat practice. <coughs> so, one of the things that's um, that's really helpful for us in in building some momentum in our practice is to um, take a period of time where we. Uh, can practice in a retreat setting. In our daily life, it, when we uh, sit during the day, um, there's even if there's some, you know, we get some um, settling in and some sense of calm and openness. Then pretty much immediately after that, we're off to our activities, and of course, as um, householders, we have to take care of our daily, uh, you know, our daily needs. But when we go on retreat, um, it really gives us this extended period of time, whether it's for um, a day or a weekend or 
a week or a month, whatever we're able to, um, time we're able to set aside to um, do this, it really gives an opportunity for the mind to, um, to calm down. This is a really, um, a really radical thing that we're doing to, um, as Wes mentioned and as, um, as Gil mentioned, we're really turning 180 degrees um, our habit of our relating to our experience. So it's really helpful to just have a period of time where we can devote to that activity. And of course, when we go on retreat, um, we observe noble silence. So we have the we don't have the distraction of conversation, which really causes um, a lot of activity in the mind. Our, um, so observing silence naturally has a calming effect on, on the mind. Um, we practice the precepts when we're on retreat, the uh, five training precepts. So we have um, very good morality when we're on a retreat. We don't Well, we're observing noble silence, so that's pretty much observing um, skillful speech. Um, we're probably not taking things that aren't given to us, um, and we're not harming other living beings. We have a greater consciousness um, during that time, and so um, we're much more aware of of not doing any har anything harmful. Um, we are um, abstaining from intoxicants and we're abstaining from sexual activity. So um, this observing these five training principles uh, once again is another brings another level of calmness to the to the mind. Um, then we're simplifying our activities. We're sitting and walking and eating and um, that's pretty much our activity during this period of time and so we're able to with this simple activity we're able to really deepen our our awareness of uh, our moment by moment experience So this is the retreats are kind of a a strong medicine for us, so that we can um, we can withdraw from our normal unwholesome habits of uh, tendencies of the mind and. Of course, also on retreats, we, there's generally periods where we practice loving-kindness meditation, too. So 
we get that formal practice of um, of bringing the um, the wholesome aspects of mind, uh, practicing those as well. There's a um, a Zen master who um, teaches in California, and his name is Sasaki Roshi. And this is a quote from him about um, his enlightenment experience. When you infuse enough clarity and equanimity into the mind-body, your entire sense of self polarizes into a bi-directional flow of space. All affirmative forces within you join into a single effortless spread. All negative forces within you join into single effortless collapse. Although in a sense impersonal, This state is profoundly satisfying because you feel as though you are hugging the universe from around and within at the very same time. The effortless outflow is called Tathagata, thus gone. The effortless inflow is called Tathagata, thus returned. At some point this polarization reaches its ultimate. Because you have been totally involved in the activity of self-awareness, there has been no time to freeze that activity into somethingness. Hence, there is no fixed self arising in the space created by this polar action. Therefore, expansion and contraction can directly touch, commingle, and mutually cancel. Because this cancellation contains all pairs of opposites, positive and negative, affirmation and negation, life and death, past and future, inside and outside, heaven and hell. It represents a cosmos-sized zero called Tathagata. At some point, that zero repolarizes and the body, image, talk, self return. The same but changed. For this is now an enlightened body, talk, image, self. It always has a clear image of the vibrating void whence it arises. It never tires of talking to others about how they too can come to experience this. And it feels, feels with deep poignancy, immense gratitude, absolute safety, unconditional love. So thank you for listening.